Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of ENT in a Nutshell, part of headmere.com. I'm Jeff Meekham, and today's episode is part of our Residency Application Toolkit mini-series. The topic for today will be sub-internships, away rotations, and letters of recommendation. To join us in our discussion, we welcome Dr. Michael Marino. Thanks for coming on the show, Dr. Marino. Jeff, thanks for having me on the show today, and hopefully we'll have a nice discussion uh, regarding some of these topics. To introduce our guest, Dr. Marino is a rhinology and skull-based fellowship-trained otolaryngologist at a busy tertiary medical center in the United States. In addition to his clinical duties, Dr. Marino serves as the assistant program director for the otolaryngology residency program at his institution. Included in this role is the coordination of sub-interns and rotating medical students. Dr. Marino is a dedicated mentor to students interested in applying to ENT, and we're very fortunate to have him with us to discuss this very important topic. Dr. Marino, before we begin, would you mind defining the terms sub-internship and away rotation? So I think a sub-internship, otherwise known as a, an acting internship, can best be defined as a fourth-year rotation uh, for the medical student in their field of interest and the area in which they will be applying uh, to residency. And for many people listening to this podcast, that will be ENT. And in many ways, an away rotation is, is similar to an acting internship or a sub-internship. However, this is at a different institution than the, the medical student's home institution and is in some ways a, an audition rotation for the, for the student. I, I would say in most cases, these rotations tend to be about four weeks long, but specifically they can vary somewhat in that time frame. And this is an opportunity for the student to... Uh, become acquainted with their future career, uh, gain experience in the field, as well as uh, meet uh, faculty in the field, both in their, their home institution uh, and in, in other institutions in the country. So we're going to try to keep this episode more generally applicable to an application cycle without any COVID restrictions. But before we do that, would you mind talking about what the current recommendations are regarding these away rotations in the 2021 and 2022 cycle? For this year, the uh, I think things are still somewhat flexible, but, but the goal will be to have students be able to do one-away rotation, and that was the, uh, the guidance uh, from the program director organization, and that there will be some unfavorable look on applicants who try to complete more than that, just in the interest of fairness this year and, and some of the challenges uh, related to to COVID, but hopefully this will be uh, better than the year before and, and that folks applying in this cycle will have the opportunity to do an away rotation. So let's talk more now in terms of general terms about sub-internships and aways. So what's the ideal timeline to complete these sub-internships and aways? And when should students start applying and planning for these positions? I think for each student, uh, they will have a unique situation, an individual situation, but there probably are some general principles that apply for most students. In terms of when to complete a rotation, uh, the general guideline would be somewhere between May and, and early September uh, before the application cycle starts or just around when the application cycle starts. That, that allows time for uh, students to have performance evaluations of their rotations as well as time to become acquainted with letter writers and have those letter writers be able to submit letters for the, the application cycle. Typically, we recommend that students rotate in their home institution first so that they can be 
maximally prepared uh, for the away rotations. Uh, if it's possible, we advise many students to, to find time between rotations if they're able to schedule uh, some other local rotation between uh, so that they can recharge and prepare for the, the away rotation. And those are the kind of the, the guidelines we think about uh, for planning out both sub-internships and away rotations. And what about in terms of uh, a lot of students like to ask, you know, should they be doing their away rotations before or after they take their step two CK examination? Do you have any advice for that? So I think that's a little bit of a, a difficult issue to have a general guideline on. I think the advantage to taking it early is that uh, the material from third year will be fresher in the mind. Uh, shelf exams will have been recently completed and it becomes a natural extension to, to, to take step two. For taking it later, uh, many students who, who do very well on step one find that there's less value in, in taking step two CK uh, right away. So they, they push it off a, a little bit further. Um, I think uh, my, my bias is to, is to do it is to do it earlier, uh, but I, I don't know if there's a, a perfect answer uh, to that that question. And it's also probably useful to have many of these exams done before the the ERAS uh, application deadline, uh, especially as some of the changes begin to happen with with step one. And in regards to planning ahead and actually applying to these uh, away rotations. Do you have any advice on when to do them and, and any of the things students should be doing in preparation to get that done? So the visiting student, uh, a VSLO system opens in February and that's a time when students can start to upload the necessary documents for applications. Uh, submission dates vary, uh, depending on the, the program, uh, anywhere from March to June. Uh, and there may even be some variation on, on how those are responded to and at what what times uh, so we we recommend that students be prepared early uh, uh, and apply to uh, a few programs and and uh, begin to chart a, a course and, and understand that there may be some variation in the way those applications are reviewed and, and responded to uh, of course this uh, this cycle will be somewhat different and that students will be applying for probably one rotation but uh, hopefully that will not be the case in the future, and uh, students will apply to several programs, uh, apply when the, the VSLO system opens, and then have those rolling application reviews. And correct me if I'm wrong, there are a few programs that take applications for way rotations outside of the centralized VSLO system, right? So I, I would assume that occurs, and, and probably... Uh, there is value uh, in any case in contacting programs and, and uh, receiving direct correspondence if, if a particular program is of interest uh, because uh, the, the VSLO system is, is not perfect, uh, but, it, but it can be a, a good place to organize documents and, and, and should work well, but um, there are other avenues to contact programs. In regards to choosing a program, what advice do you have regarding choosing where to complete an away rotation? And then after, would you mind talking about how many students should be doing in a typical year? Sure. So I, I think there have been different ways to approach this. And this is, there, there may be a little bit of controversy about how to exactly approach this. Um, some, some students shy away from some of their top choice programs, particularly if they, if they think they have strong applications 
um, so that they don't have a poor performance um, and will go and rotate elsewhere. But the, the alternative to that is, is that the away rotation is a great opportunity to meet, meet people and, and also for them to meet you as an applicant. Many applicants will try away rotations at, at some of their top choice institutions. Different data looking in, at the most uh, recent matches um, show that m- many students uh, match at, at institutions where they did away rotations. So something on the order of about 90 out of 300 matches were of that case, and uh, as many as 60 or so matches were at, at uh, students' home institutions. So there, there definitely is some uh, value and familiarity, both for the programs and for the, for the, the student. Uh, I think in terms of my own view on that subject, I, I probably would lean towards the latter approach that I think it's a very, very valuable opportunity uh, to present yourself as an applicant, to get to know the, the faculty, uh, and also for them them to know you and, and really probably at the end of the day, uh, very much improves the chances of matching at a particular program. Uh, the, the other considerations that are, that are sort of external to that, and, but, but are nonetheless important, uh, is understanding that away rotations can be uh, expensive. There is certainly uh, expense associated with it. And some students may have family or friends that they can have housing with or transportation, and that may influence where to do a rotation. And I think that those are uh, very legitimate uh, concerns and can, can, can guide where to, where to choose to do a rotation. S- somewhat, somewhat differently, uh, we all uh, you know, do medical school in a specific region, uh, and doing an away rotation may, uh, in, a, in a different region of the country, may open up that region uh, to, to the applicant, particularly if you're able to meet faculty at that institution, gain letters of, of recommendation uh, that may have some um, important uh, implications for the, the regionality of, of your application. And then in regards to the number of aways, how many should a student be doing? And do you have any advice for them on what would be typical in a normal year? So I think in the, the typical year, uh, I would say that two away rotations makes uh, good sense. Some students do three. I think that that is uh, reasonable as well. So somewhere in the, in the two to three range, uh, will give an applicant a broad enough appreciation of different programs uh, without doing away is becoming too taxing. Uh, I think that there is probably not much to be gained from a higher number of away rotations, something like four, five, six, uh, and then uh, the applicant runs the risk of really being spread too thin and not putting their best, concentrating their best effort uh, into a high yield approach to away rotations. So what are some of the goals or benefits that students should keep in mind when choosing and completing away rotations? Like we were talking about before, I think one of the most important things is it's a good opportunity to network and to gain mentorship in what is a relatively small field. Uh, so this is an opportunity to meet faculty outside of the the home institution to develop that network, and that will increase uh, the exposure to have really to people across the country. It's also a good opportunity to ask for letters, and in many ways that that sort of parallels our conversation about networking and uh, mentorship, and that will uh, make uh, the applicant more attractive uh, to to many programs probably throughout the, the country by building up that network. 
I think that away rotations are a good opportunity for the applicant to better understand where they might fit in a different program, to see different types of programs. Uh, it's also an opportunity for the, the program to get to understand and, and know applicants. And I think there is uh, definitely, as we looked in some of that data or talked about some of that data before, uh, there is uh, some benefit to familiarity on both the part of the applicant and the program. And the last thing, I think this is a really interesting and uh, fun time as an applicant. Uh, this is going to be your, your career and getting to meet uh, many people uh, should be exciting. It is exciting. It's exciting for uh, the, the faculty at those programs, the residents of those programs, because these are uh, people who will be uh, colleagues for the, the rest of your career. Going into a little more detail about letters of recommendation, what advice do you have regarding choosing who to write your letters and how to go about asking them when the time comes to ask for that letter? I think the uh, there are a few people that many, many applicants uh, should ask letters for, and that is the program director and the chairman at their home program, uh, assuming that they have a home program, that these are people that you can uh, get to know well and, and that many uh, other programs will expect to, to see letters from. Uh, I think it's also important uh, or uh, there is value in getting letters from people who know you well because they will be able to speak the, the most thoroughly on your behalf. And I think that that gets conveyed well in, in letters of recommendation or in particular, strong letters of recommendation. Uh, doing away rotations is also an opportunity uh, to meet other faculty uh, um, throughout the country. I think especially if you're able to develop relationships with uh, the chairman at, at an away rotation, uh, uh, or the program director at an away rotation, uh, that those may be values, valuable letters as well. Uh, but, I, but I really, I do think it's important to focus on people uh, who, who do know you to some extent and really can speak uh, to, your, to your strengths as an applicant. So I've heard conflicting thoughts on this. You know, some people have said to make sure to get the letter from the biggest name possible at the institution you're rotating at. And others have said that if that person doesn't know you well, that letter's not worth as much. Do you have any advice speaking towards that? There probably is value in, in having letters from well-known people. And if you can cultivate those relationships, that's great. But I, I think the focus should be on uh, obtaining letters from people who can really speak on your behalf. And, and I think you can do both, uh, but I would be cognizant to try to achieve both of those aims as much as possible uh, and to really garner some some strong letters. And, and I think not every letter has to be from a extremely well-known uh, person. There can be some variation there. Uh, so I, I don't know that those, those two things are necessarily in, in conflict, uh, but I think that it does take some effort to, to cultivate strong letters of recommendation. Now, I remember asking for letters can be kind of an anxiety-inducing experience. Do you have advice on what's the best way to approach someone and ask for a letter and when the ideal timing is to ask for this kind of a letter? Those are, those are good questions, Jeff. And I know I, I shared some of that anxiety uh, when I was an applicant as well. I, I think the, the best way to approach it is to ask uh, a potential letter writer if they're, if they're willing to, to write on your behalf. Uh, and uh, for them to to take that invitation. Uh, also, uh, don't dismiss people who want to write letters on your behalf. They, those are generally very strong letters as well. 
Uh, and then in terms of when to ask, uh, I, I would say the, the earlier, the better. Uh, that gives a letter, the letter writer time to write a letter. Of course, there is, there is some uh, trade-off there in, in getting to know people. So I don't, I don't think it should be a rush. But uh, if you've developed a relationship with somebody, it, it's, there's probably not much point in waiting. That will give them time um, to write a letter and, and write a strong letter for you. So getting back to preparing for a sub-internship, either at home or to, in a, an away institution, uh, what tips do you have in regards to helping students prepare to really crush one of these rotations? In other words, what is it that makes a great sub-intern? I think a well, well-prepared medical student uh, is one who can really shine, and I think that that means uh, doing different things. One is to have a good knowledge base. So, so reading is important, learning about the conditions, being knowledgeable about them. Uh, that will give a, a base for being able to ask thoughtful questions, uh, knowing anatomy and particularly knowing anatomy for the cases that you may be doing on the upcoming day. Those can be very, very helpful uh, skills and knowledge to, to have. Uh, I think also being prepared about the the specific patients is, is very helpful. So knowing about uh, the patients, their condition, their histories, uh, that, will, that will also make an applicant shine in the, in the eyes of the faculty. Uh, and then what, we were, what I was mentioning before, I think that all of these things are a good basis for asking uh, thoughtful questions, uh, questions that will, that will be informed, uh, and that really avoids the risk of uh, asking or, uh, anything that may, may seem burdensome because uh, um, you'll really be a part of the conversation. Uh, I think the last thing I would mention is, is just uh, bringing a, a great attitude and a great worth, work ethic uh, to the away rotation. This is a, a four-week opportunity um, to, really, to really go all in, and uh, that effort will, will certainly go noticed uh, by, by the programs. Uh, so this is really uh, the time to, to not shy away at that, to, to um, have, a, have a great attitude uh, and come uh, ready to work hard. And maybe a more specific question about that. What about actual hands-on skills? Any advice for things that people should come in prepared to know how to do already? So it's probably useful to uh, know, know ties, one and two-handed ties, basic suture technique, basic instrument handling. I, I don't think anybody is going to expect that a, uh, a fourth-year medical student already knows how to do the procedure, uh, but having some of these basic skills. And also, I would be open to instruction. Uh, this, this is a great time to, to learn and develop those skills as well. And speaking of doing well on one of these rotations, how are sub-internships usually graded, and is it necessary to honor the rotation? I think it's it's necessary to honor the rotation to the extent that this means that there was a strong rotation. I think that uh, many many applicants who come and uh, achieve the kinds of things we were discussing in the last section are are able to quote honor the rotation. I think the actual grading is is very dependent on uh, individual medical schools and and how they how they view that. Uh, but I think for Students who are well prepared uh, and who work hard and are uh, contributing members of the team—that those are those are ways to achieve an honors on a rotation, and, and that will certainly look be looked at most favorably. 
What resources would you recommend for students to prepare for and study prior to and during their sub-internships? Well, we would certainly refer uh, students to the, the headmirror.com website, which they, they may have already been a part of if they're tuning into the, the podcast. Uh, in terms of uh, reference uh, books or pocket reference books in, in particular, to have, which I think are, are really important at the student level, uh, ENT Secrets uh, can be a great book and is, and is level appropriate uh, for students. Uh, some students also use the uh, otolaryngology uh, handbook written by Dr. Pasha. Uh, that's a, a little bit higher level than the ENT Secrets, but uh, it may be useful uh, as, as well. There are reference books out there as well. I, I, I doubt that I would take on reading um, the, the whole volumes of, of reference books, but they may be good for discussing specific uh, topics. And uh, the, the, the two well-known uh, reference books are the, uh, the Cummings Head and Neck Surgery one, as well as uh, uh, the uh, Bailey's uh, uh, reference collection. Uh, and, and those are kind of the different levels at which um, students can uh, have materials to prepare them uh, for, uh, for navigating uh, the, uh, the sub-internship. And I guess as we look to kind of round out this episode, do you have any other parting words of advice for students regarding sub-internships, away rotations, or letters of recommendation? I think that this is a, is a great opportunity. This is not something to be fearful about. Uh, it may be stressful, but it is really exciting. This is the first step in a uh, lifelong career uh, that many uh, of the people you work with will, will be just as excited uh, to work with you as an applicant and a medical student because uh, inevitably we've all, we've all been in those shoes and have uh, progressed and uh, and we will all all be colleagues uh, into the future. Uh, so I think that this is a, a really exciting time, and, and and that's the way it should be approached. And 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 that applicants who do approach it uh, that way uh, stand to stand to get the most out of these experiences. Excellent. Well, Dr. Marino, I really appreciate you sitting down and talking with us about this. Uh, it's an exciting time, like you said, but also one that. Uh, can produce a little bit of anxiety. So we appreciate some of your advice and counsel regarding this. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Jeff. All right. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of ENT in a Nutshell. Uh, keep an eye out for the next episodes on our residency application toolkit series. And thanks for tuning in. See you next time.